Left. I'm Allison Camerata, and this is CNN Tonight. Will we all get to see the extensive affidavit behind the FBI's retrieval of 20-plus boxes containing highly classified documents that Donald Trump took with him from the White House to Mar-a-Lago? A judge says maybe, but not yet. And we may have to read between a lot of redactions. The battle to unseal the affidavit, meaning the justification behind the FBI search, played out in a Florida courtroom today. The same federal judge who approved the search warrant to look for all of those classified and top secret documents opened the door to the possibility that portions of the affidavit could be made public as soon as next week. But first, he's giving prosecutors the opportunity to propose redactions and explain why each piece of information should be kept from the public. The Justice Department says all of it needs to remain sealed. They say releasing it could, quote, cause significant and irreparable damage to the ongoing criminal investigation, as well as to witnesses. The judge did unseal four new documents tied to the search warrant, and there is some new info in there. Last week, we learned the possible crimes that prosecutors were looking into, violations of the Espionage Act, obstruction of justice, and criminal handling of government records. So now we're learning a little more about what those mean. Prosecutors say the potential crimes are, number one, the willful retention of national defense information, as well as the concealment or removal of government records and obstruction of a federal investigation. Prosecutors also argued that they needed to keep the paperwork secret before last Monday's search because the integrity of the ongoing investigation might be compromised and evidence might be destroyed. CNN also has new exclusive reporting involving Donald Trump's evolving defense. You'll remember that the former president claimed he had some kind of standing order to declassify whatever documents he took out of the White House. Since Donald Trump is an avid golfer, we know he will appreciate the term 18 holes. And there are now 18 holes in his story. 18 former Trump administration officials have put holes in it. Much more on that in a moment. I'm joined now by three super savvy legal minds. We have the former Democratic governor and attorney general of Montana, Steve Bullock, conservative attorney George Conway, and former White House lawyer during the Trump administration, Jim Schultz. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Okay, so our Jamie Gangel reports that there were 18, as we just said, former Trump officials, all of whom said they've never heard of any such blanket um, standing order given at the time to declassify documents. So some of them, like Mick Mulvaney, says he was not aware of it. Uh, John Kelly, Trump's former chief of staff, says nothing approaching an order that foolish was ever given. And another official says, where is the order with his signature on it? So, Jim, you were in the White House. Did you never, ever know of any standing order? No, I was there the first year long before all this kind of came about. But, but I, do, I do think that, um, that all of those folks are right. I mean, there is a process for declassifying documents. It involves DNI, the CIA, the, the, the agencies that classified those documents. And in addition to that, could you imagine the outrage on the Hill? Because it would have gotten to the Hill. Could you imagine the outrage on the Hill if such a standing order existed? It, the Hill would have every, everybody down there doing, having oversight hearings right away. So, no, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. Um, Governor, when you were governor of Montana, could you just wave a wand and say, poof, I declassify you? <laughs> no, you couldn't. And look, you know, we've known all along when Trump doesn't like the facts, he makes up new facts. Started day one of the administration from the crowd size. When Her- Hurricane Dorian wasn't going to quite hit Alabama, he redrew it. There's a reason why the Washington Post, you know, found 30,000 times, literally in four years, that 
either false or misleading statements. And I got a feeling that we're going to find out that this is yet just another one of those. George, it's hard to find 18 people who agree on anything. But somehow Jamie Gangell and her team found 18 former Trump officials. We almost had 19. (laughs) I I actually count that. I'm going to count that. Who all agree that this is impossible. Yeah, it's ludicrous. It's completely ludicrous. It shows you how desperate he is at this point. And it shows you... I mean, frankly, as I always say, he's a pathological liar. He just makes things up as he goes along. And then the next day, he'll try something else and throw something else to to see see what will stick. So it's not surprising to me at all that he would say something that absurd. And it's not surprising at all that everyone would say, that's nuts, because it is nuts. Okay, so let's talk about what happened in court today with this affidavit. So publicly, as you all know, um, President Trump and his team on social media— have demanded that the affidavit be made publicly. And then something strange happened in court, George. The lawyers for President Trump didn't say anything about wanting it to be made public. The not cat had her tongue. Not so strange at all. Why? Why there is that are not three, they're, they're being three-faced about it. Not two-faced, but three-faced what about it. There are three faces here going on. One is... They'd love to see the document. Trump would love to see the document. His lawyers would see the love, love to see the document because they want to know who's ratting on him. Secondly, they don't want you to see the document or you or you or me to see the document because we'll point out what the evidence is, that this, this is just a mountain of evidence against them. And thirdly, they want to create an issue for the base and the people they're bilking of money by raising, by using on these fundraising emails. They want to say, see, they're hiding something. So that's, those are the three things that are going on at once. And that explains why you had the lawyer in the back of the room saying nothing and, and, and why they keep saying, oh, we need to see this, we need to see this. Makes sense. I mean, um, Governor, do you think that any judge is really going to release any significant portion of this affidavit? Well, look, it's clear that the judge wants to release something, right? Or if, wouldn't have said, okay, DOJ, Let's redact it. Let's see what we can show. I, and I think there is a public interest in seeing what we can oh, see. Oh, for sure there's a public interest, <clears throat> but I just don't know that a judge is going to think that it's in the public interest because there's, it's about classified documents and witnesses. Yeah, I, I don't think the judge would have even said, come back to me next Thursday, DOJ, if he didn't want to release something. Now, the redactions may be such that at the end of the day, and there should be some, right? We need to protect witnesses. We need This is, as uh, the... DOJ lawyer said, just the early stages of an ongoing investigation. So you want to protect all that. But if we can see anything, I think that just helps dispel some of the things that Trump and his allies are throwing out there. Well, speaking of Trump and his allies, Jim, um, one of the questions is, what did he want to do with all of this classified information? Why was he keeping it at Mar-a-Lago? And one of his advisors, Cash Patel, I really wanted to get his hands on this classified information, even the stuff that was being kept at the National Archives. So let me play for you what Cash Patel said last month and two months ago. I can tell you now um, that I am now officially a representative for Donald Trump at the National Archives. And I'm going to march down there. I've never told anyone this because it just happened. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to identify every single document that they blocked from being declassified at the National Archives. And we are going to start putting that information out next week. Why? So I don't know is the answer to that, right? I don't think any of us know. But what we do know is, is that if DOJ was going after this material, you know, there were folks at the NSC, CIA, DNI that all said, we need this material back. Because it's the... uh 
it's the material of the government. It's of to send 40 the agents, public, right. American publics. But but forgetting about the fact, yes, it's, yes, we we want the material back for the government purpose. But in order to send 40 agents there, I guarantee you that the CIA, the the Defense Intelligence Agency, and the and the NSC are all looking at this and saying, we need this for our purposes because it's dangerous for this country to get out. Right. So why do you think Donald Trump wanted it? What was he going to do with it, George? I, you know, I, I think it's always a mistake to put in Donald Trump's mind a complex plan. He's completely impulsive. He's a sociopath. He's completely impulsive. And he's also a narcissist. And his pronouns are I, me, my, mine. And everything belongs to him. Those were my generals over at the Pentagon. This is my government. I mean, he's basically the, the epitomization of l'état simois. And, and he thinks all of this stuff belongs to him. He said that. He said yes. it's not theirs, it's mine. It's his, yes. He's, his. He's, a, he's basically a five-year-old. This is my toy. You can't take my toy away from me. I mean, you can read him a statute. It's not going to matter. The only thing that would, would, would matter is you tell him you're going to go to jail. But I don't think they emphasized that strongly enough to him uh, when he was in the critical moments of refusing to give this stuff back. And now he's in deep, deep trouble. Do you agree? Yeah, I do agree. And I also agree. At, look, this is more than certainly, as Jim notes, Kim Jong-un's love letters. Like, this is important stuff. Or DOJ wouldn't have done this. So... Now, we certainly can't even speculate what those documents are, but we can speculate that there are some of them that are sensitive enough that these measures had to be taken. And nobody is above the law, certainly not Donald Trump. And it's more than just taking a few, you know, the M&Ms from the White House here. If any of us had done this, we'd, we'd already been arrested. I mean, it's crazy. If they had asked for the stuff back and we had refused... I mean, come on. We, wouldn't have, we would not have a snowball's chance. John Bolton, who was on here the last hour, if he had taken this stuff home, he'd be in That's chains right. right now. I mean, it's absurd. Well, anybody would be. Uh, okay, gentlemen, thank you very much. Everyone stick around. And another top figure in Trump world will be heading to jail. Why do so many people around Donald Trump end up behind bars? That's next. The CFO of the Trump Organization is going to jail. Alan Weisselberg pleaded guilty to 15 felonies in a tax scheme that allowed him to avoid paying taxes on almost $2 million in perks. Prosecutors struck a deal with Weisselberg to testify against the Trump Organization at trial, but they did not get him to flip on his longtime boss, Donald Trump. Weisselberg was facing 15 years in prison, but he ended up only with a five-month jail sentence. He could serve as little as 100 days. Let's bring back our legal geniuses. Um, So, George, back in February, you wrote in The Washington Post about this day. You wrote about this Trump org case, and you said, could this be at long last the beginning of the end for Trump? As always, don't bet on it, but this time, don't be surprised if it is. So is it today? No, no. I mean, again, as I said, don't be surprised if it is or isn't, but but he's certainly, I mean, this, a lot turned on Weisselberg. I mean, it was clear that the prior prosecutors, um, the ones who, who resigned, uh, Kerry Dunn and Mark Pomerantz, wanted to go ahead and in, indict Trump without getting Weisselberg's cooperation. And, and clearly the incoming uh, DA decided that he wasn't going to take that risk. And that, I think, meant that that, that made the difference. Um, and whether or not who's right, I, we can't possibly tell because we don't know what the evidence is. That being said, I mean, Weisselberg, you know, it's still a serious charge against Weisselberg. He's going to 
Five months sounds, you know, 100 days, it sounds like it'll go quickly, but he's got to spend that at, like, I don't know, Rikers Island. Yes, Rikers, I mean, yes. eh, I don't, I, you would not want to spend five hours at Rikers Island. And, um, you know, and he's going to testify against the Trump organization. And if the Trump organization is convicted, there are all sorts of remedies a court could impose on the Trump organization that could be quite serious. Yeah, I do want to talk about that in a second. But first, Governor, you're the only former prosecutor here. A five-month sentence, he'll serve 100, basically, days, and it didn't work all the way up to Donald Trump. Is this a win for the DA? Well, look, you know, I mean, Weisselberg had a great deal. His kids got free college. He got a condo. Everybody would want those employment benefits. Five months in jail's yeah. worth it. <laughs> Everybody would want those employment benefits. I don't know that I would consider, you know, as George said, we don't know everything that the DA was looking at. I wouldn't consider it necessarily a win until you actually got him to turn against his own boss. But clearly they evaluate. They said, this is the best we're going to get. And... They took it. Okay, Jim, now to the Trump Organization. So the Trump Organization, as we understand, it made $278 million in 2020. Okay, so I would think that if the case ends up bringing down the Trump Organization, which is one possibility, that would really hurt Donald Trump. However, it has $300 million worth of debt coming due. So does Donald Trump care if this goes up in flames? Of course he does. Right. That's that's he, he built the Trump organization. Right. His ego is not going to permit him to to let that go. So, of course, it's going to hurt Donald Trump. No but, doubt about but, it. But is this his main business anymore? I mean, now that he's in the business of politics, is he still as tethered to the Trump organization as he was when he was a real estate mogul here? Yeah. I mean, look, he, he, you saw him get out of the car in New York just a couple of days ago, waving to everybody. I mean, he, he looks at that as his that's his that's his creation. That's his organization. That that's his business. And and certainly an attack on that is an attack on him. George, why are so many people so loyal to Donald Trump? Uh, it is beyond my comprehension. It's something that that I see and I know and I can predict, but I can't fully explain. But I'm going to say in my in my defense, you read that piece from earlier. I was actually talking about the civil case there and the fact that the accountants had abandoned him and that was going to make it harder for him to refinance the debt that you just mentioned. And that civil case is still hanging over his head. And why here. do you think that's the case that could bring him down? Well, I, well, I don't, I think the case that's going to bring him down is the document case, which I guess we'll get to. But the, um, I, I think the civil case is very dangerous for him because He's played, you know, he played the fifth last week. We, it's, we tend to forget it. He played 400 the fifth 440 times. <laughs> times. And it's like, you know, oh yeah, we, you know, it's overshadowed by all the other news. That, you know, in a civil case, those, those assertions of, of the Fifth Amendment can be used to impute bad facts against him. So the, the, the civil case against the Trump organization and Trump is very strong and could put him out of business. Could put the Trump organization out of business. Well, him too. But what does that mean? Well, I mean, I mean, you know, he's it's not he's you know, the, the thing that he values the most, the thing that has his name on it, the Trump Tower. I mean, you could you know, I mean, he could end up paying huge fines and they could they could, you know, under the Martin Act, which is this incredibly broad law uh, against civil against civil and financial fraud in, in the state of New York, um, they could dissolve his company. So they could do all sorts of things to him. And he's, he's still, he's not out of the woods in New York yet, even though he may, I, I doubt he'll ever be indicted. Okay, because the other side of the coin is that every time he's in some sort of legal trouble, he fundraises on it, off of it, and makes more money. I mean, this is, you know, with the FBI search, he's made millions of dollars in the past week, Governor. Look, which is actually another way that he's breaking the law. He's sitting on a $100 million political action committee pack money right now. Said over a year ago that he's running for president said that to Hannity in July of 2021. Guess what? If you're committed to running for president and you're raising money, 
you actually have to file to run for president. I'm part of a group we actually sued the FEC to say, let's enforce the laws. Because he just didn't like in business, in dealing with these documents, he wants to play by his own rules. If he's going to run for president, he actually should follow the Federal Election Campaign Act. You can't just raise slush funds for, you know. Which is what he, yeah. which is what he has right now. Yes, he is. Yes, he is doing it. And yes, he can do it until he, he declares for president. And that's the question. Did he declare? And yeah. I think, look, we, I've been around politics a long time. A lot of people have gone right up to that line, as long, certainly as far as Donald Trump, and, and have not declared and are still raising money in PACs and the like. But he literally said a year ago, I've made up my mind. A couple... Probably a month ago, he said, the only decision is before the midterms or after. He introduces himself as the 45th and the 47th president. Like, this guy, we know he's running for president. And we know that you actually have to start, you know, following the rules of contribution limits once you've made up your mind. And that's why we're, we're suing him. And I think at the end of the day, hopefully the Federal Election Commission does what it should. I didn't know he introduced himself as the 47th president. I'm going to start doing that. That's a, that's a great introduction. Um, thank it's you like, very much. It's like declassifying much. documents by putting them to your head. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Governor Jim, thank you very much. George, stick around. If you would, we have more to talk about. All right. It's almost back to school time, and this year parents are worried. Up next, a candid conversation with parents from across the country and across the political spectrum about their biggest fears as their kids head back into the classroom. As kids around the country get ready to go back to school, their parents are getting anxious. Between school shootings, teacher shortages, and culture wars, there's a lot to worry about. In the latest CNN poll, education ranks as the fourth most important issue to voters in this country, tied with gun policy. So we wanted to understand why parents are so worried, and we assembled a cross-section of parents from across the political and geographic spectrum. Here now, our Pulse of the People. You've all said that education is one of your personal top issues. So let's just talk about what you mean by that. What most concerns you? The number one thing that's salient in my mind and the mind of all my mom friends is school being open and kids experiencing normal life. Honestly, for me right now, it's school safety. And as a parent, I have a lot of jobs, but my top primary job above every other job is to make sure my kids are safe. Honestly, the same is the school safety. That, along with just what is being taught in schools, like what's being banned from schools. I think my biggest concern is just teachers feeling supported. Obviously, safety within schools is a major issue. My biggest concern for education is that the children return to a safe, inclusive, equitable, productive environment. Seeing an inclusive school environment and really removing the politicization of teachers, contents, topics, you know, having parent involvement, but also recognizing that our schools are a diverse place that students need to feel safe to attend and be themselves. And that's been a real issue here. Okay, so let's dive into that. Critical race theory. Roxanne, uh, I know you have strong feelings about CRT. Um, I'm an immigrant from Jamaica. And I would just say that being taught from an early age, and I've seen this again across the spectrum of my friends, that like America is a bad place, that um, that Thanksgiving is something to not be celebrated. Um, kids no longer say the pledge um, after middle school. Um, as someone who, you know, 
took an oath to protect and defend the U.S. Constitution when I became a citizen. It's sad. I'm kind of shocked because our high schoolers say the Pledge of Allegiance. My kids have never been taught that being white or being black was a bad or a good thing. They've never been taught that Thanksgiving isn't to be celebrated. They do the same things that I did when I was a kid. They do book reports on Martin Luther King and Abraham Lincoln. There's no evidence students are being taught to be oppressed or feel oppressed or feel guilty. No one's teaching critical race theory. All they're wanting to do is just to add more truth to the history because a lot of the truth is not there. The fact is that when there's so much focus on the things that are tangential as opposed to here's history, here's reading, writing, and arithmetic, and it's really a crying shame that we get distracted and we also, that we tell Black kids, essentially, you can't get anywhere unless a white person gives you permission to do so. But just help me understand, like, what have your twins been told, just so I have a concrete example? So I try not to talk about them because they have their own lives and that's their their own business. I'm sitting in Charleston right now. I'm in a 210-year-old building and I'm three blocks from the slave market where the majority of slaves came into America. Here, slavery and, and the history of slavery and racism is embedded into our culture. We have to acknowledge it, but we shouldn't be teaching our kids that one, white people are inherently racist because that's not true. We need cultural competence training. We need implicit bias training. We need tolerance, inclusion, and awareness to go into the world and to communicate and connect. And we're preparing our kids for that. What's wrong with that? If CRT is bad, show me a concrete example. Show me the policy. I've seen elementary kids be divided into groups on the basis of race and told, and by the way, it's 2022. There's a lot of miscegenation here. How do you pick whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're an ally? Um, the fact is that I happen to think segregation is bad and I'm not going to let that go. Let's move on. Let's do the gender, sexuality, transgender issues of kids in school and whether or not, just, just how it's being addressed. One of my children is gay. They're, they're trying to push the don't say gay. And it upsets me because I just want her to go to school and learn. All I care about her is getting a great education. And I want her to feel that she has opportunities in this world and she shouldn't have to care about the color of her skin or who she wants to love and, and just live a normal life when we don't get that chance because people are telling her she can't be who she is. As someone who is transgender, I know that the vast majority of arguments against gay and trans kids and talking about them, it's its made up. And sadly, it's just a lack of awareness. People are afraid of what they don't understand. And under this law, under the don't say gay law that is in Florida, my son, when he was in kindergarten, he got recognized as a star student and he was supposed to bring in a poster that talks about him, his family, and all of his favorite things. And on that poster, he put a picture of me. Under that don't say gay bill, that teacher would have had to take that poster from him in the middle of his class and be like, I'm sorry, we can't talk about your parent because they're trans and I don't want to get sued. This is not the environment we should be creating for kids. They claim that the Florida bill 1577 will stop the poster from being put up from a kid's family. No, no, it won't. It was specifically to address things. And Allison, we're old now. So these things didn't happen when we were young, that there were a legion of young activists who wanted to sexualize conversations in kindergarten. What do you mean they wanted to sexualize ki to kindergartners? Can you give me a concrete example? 
Well, you can just look at any one of the many videos that's shared by libs of TikTok on Twitter, where it's it's actually people in their own words on TikTok, elementary teachers saying, this is what I tell all my kids to choose a new name, to choose a new gender. You're saying that on t- your source is TikTok with people on there saying, claiming to be teachers or whatever, and saying what they said to little kids. Is that what is yes, bothering saying you. that my job is to is to definitely um, open up the whole conversation of the panoply of, of sexuality. It's incredibly important for children to see their families and themselves represented in the books that are in their classroom library. No teacher, no teacher is sitting down to sexualize children in kindergarten. Well, I disagree with Vanessa in that no teacher is sexualizing children because if that were the case, then you wouldn't see these videos that Roxanne talked about. The real question is how many of those teachers are sexualizing? You just need to find out, is this widespread or is it, are they rare occurrences? Did you ever ask your teachers are they teaching that? Are you teaching sexualized content? Are you going to schools within your county instead of looking at TikTok? Go to those schools and talk to those teachers and I assure you, it is not happening. Yes, to answer your question, I have talked to my teachers, I, my principal, I have talked to the community leaders. It doesn't happen here where I am in South Carolina. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen across the country. We have a lot to talk about. And up next, we're going to continue this conversation with our own personal parent panel. George Conway, Scott Jennings, and Maria Cardona, all with thoughts on the culture wars in the classroom. Plus... It's a very timely headline. A judge rules on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' so-called Stop Woke Law. That's next. You just heard from six parents across the country sharing their concerns about their kids going back to school and how they how they expect teachers to address the topics like critical race theory and gender identity. Let's discuss all of it with our own personal parent panel. We have George Conway, Scott Jennings, who is a former special assistant to President George W. Bush. Not sure what this has to do with your parenting, but yeah. I'm, sure we'll, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into that. And Democratic strategist Maria Cardona. Great to have all of you guys. So I learned so much from my panels. I mean, I, I truly learned so much from them. And I thank them so much for their candor mm-hmm. because they're just being honest mm-hmm. about what they're feeling. And they're feeling anxious yeah. and they're feeling scared. Yeah. And it's sort of a free-floating anxiety. I mean, everybody's obviously afraid of gun violence and school shooting. But then beyond that, with the culture wars that they were talking about, there is a feeling that their kids are being indoctrinated somehow. I shouldn't say that. Not their kids. Here's where the rub is, Scott. Mm -hmm. They have a hard time explaining whether their kids have ever experienced it. But they feel it in the air Mm -hmm. because it's on the Internet and they've heard stories about this. And it causes anxiety. Yeah. Um, well, of course, a lot of videos have been posted. Uh, I know one of the panelists re- referenced the libs of TikTok. I mean, they've gotten quite famous posting videos of people from schools. And, and, and so you, you get influenced by seeing that. It may not be happening in your own backyard, but you think potentially it's happening in a lot of different places. I mean, just I, I've got four kids. Three are in uh, school. One is in the last round of preschool. Um, for the three that I have that are in uh, school school right now, my, my biggest issue is just continuing to worry about the learning loss from the pandemic. I mean, these cultural issues and, and these other ancillary things aside, that, that's what gives me anxiety. Because that's real, Scott. But, 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 that's but, real. And, I mean, and, at, and at the same time, though, I think, I think that anxiety is, all, is, is there. And then you throw in these other cultural anxieties. Yes. And so it's what I think a lot of parents are just feeling overwhelmed right now about 
wondering, is the school going the way I want it to go? I agree. I, I understand. I am sympathetic to that. But it's the free-floating anxiety. What do mm-hmm. we do about that? This is real. Anxiety is anxiety. They are truly anxious. But it's, it's about, as we were saying, videos that they're seeing. Yeah. What are you supposed to do about that? And it's taken root in yeah. schools. And it is affecting the curriculum now. Teachers are skittish yeah. also. That's exactly right, Allison. And the, the misinformation and disinformation that is out there is a pandemic to me. Because that is not just making, um, making students and their parents anxious, but it is frankly spreading untruths and it is spreading lies. And, and I got to say, you talk to all of those parents that are anxious, but they were anxious about different things, right? You had some of them that were anxious about the critical race theory, about the sexualization, which we know is not happening. And then you also had parents who were um, of different backgrounds who were concerned because their kids look different and how are they going to be well, treated? Well, also their kids, if they're worried about their kids being ostracized because one exactly. of those moms does live in Florida. And so they were having to confront the um, Parents Education Rights Act, which some people call yes. Don't Say Gay. Yes. And I should mention that literally just a few hours ago, a Florida judge blocked Governor DeSantis's anti-woke law in education. And I think we have a little portion of the law of the decision from the judge that I can read. If Florida truly believes we live in a post-racial society, then let it make the case. But it cannot win the argument by muzzling opponents because without justification, the Individual Freedom Act, okay, I guess that's what it's called, um, attacks ideas, not conduct. Um, George, your thoughts? Well, I I just, you know, I think the judge is exactly right. I mean, you have to I mean, part of the things that we things that we have to teach our children is that there are other people with other different kinds of views, and you have to you have to have some empathy toward other people's views, and you have to listen to them. And I think that to actually try to enforce some kind of a prohibition on teachers uh, in a blunderbuss fashion isn't going to work. I mean, you have the, the the schools have a right to set the curriculum and set the focus on the curriculum, but to basically um, you know, past laws saying that particular subjects are, are off limits, I think is just, it's, it's not constitutional and it's not wise. I, I, think, I think it goes further. I think it's dangerous. I think what DeSantis is doing is poison and it is poisoning the kids. It is poisoning the school system. What he is passing is actually putting some of those kids in danger. Um, kids who are gay, who, kids who are transgender, or who have parents that are and frankly, kids who are black, kids who are Latino, who, you know, we, we just heard about a teacher who quit because her colleagues took down pictures of Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King, because it went against what DeSantis is trying to do in Florida. Now, wait a minute. Ron DeSantis did not pass a law saying you have to take pictures of Martin Luther King down off the walls. That's just, that, this no, is but not... No, but the message, but though, but Scott, I mean, is poison, and that is what people are getting from it. It's also teachers what, are skittish. But, they don't know. It's so vague. One of the complaints about this <laughs> law, and in fact, I believe the judge just said it, it's so vague... That's a fundamental problem. Right? That's it's a so fundamental. vague that the teachers person. don't exactly know what they're supposed to be teaching or what's illegal now. But right. the... What, what conservative parents, I think, are worried about is what is the focus of the classroom? What is the focus of the school? Are we spending most of our time on reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, and, and the fundamental building blocks of, of an education? Or are we spending most of our time on some other cultural, ideological, whatever, however you want to label sure, it, but other, other to kinds I mean, of topics? Kid, you have kids in grade school. What's the answer? Well, my view is mo- my kids spend most of their time where we live on the things that I want them to be spending time reading, on. Learn- and, and principally, you know, I have two kids that have um, some uh, learning differences. Reading is our issue. Like we have to learn. And that's what they do there. 
But you can't deny it. There, there have been some anecdotes, some examples of teachers who have tried to inject some of these things into... Are you talking about libs of TikTok? I, where? Yes, of where, course. Where, it's all... It's, where are there they're, examples they're, of that, Scott? It's Scott, it, where? It's, 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 you can't use that as your source. I'm saying they're anecdotes. I'm not saying, yeah, it's, it's, I'm not saying it's in every school and every classroom. But when but, you but, say but, anecdote but, or stories of teachers injecting, are you talking about teachers who are actually teaching the history of slavery and what slaves have suffered throughout that history? No, Is that what I'm you not, mean? I'm not talking about teaching slavery, but I, I do think there are people out there who would like to teach our children that somehow... Um, because of their racial background, they are they are going to be treated differently or should be treated well, they differently. They are treated differently and, because and, and of their racial and background. Inherently, and that they are inherently bad. That that that, that yeah, is an ideology that is an ideology that some people have and they would like to put it in the classroom. Right. I'm not show arguing me, it's widespread. But that ideology does exist and it it is a concern for conservative parents, and that's what DeSantis was reacting to. Yes, I hear you that it is a concern, but I just want to say one thing about Lizard TikTok. I didn't know about it. I mean, I think I knew about it, but I didn't pay attention to it mm-hmm. until I did this uh, parenting panel. And then I forced myself to watch it. It was indecipherable. Yeah. Indecipherable because they do find little um, sort of hidden camera moments, but some of it's pixelated. They're not There's... hidden cameras. Those people filming themselves in many cases. Well, the one that I saw was at a school and a child wasn't wearing a mask. And it was like sort of like a gotcha, aha little cell phone video. But all the faces were pixelated. The audio was cut. It was a lot of video of sneakers. And you have to piece together... What's happening in the video? This cannot be your, a credible source yeah. that people are using. It just can't. And this, in, in the Virginia governor's race last year, this became a huge issue. And we were told night after night after night, this isn't real. This isn't real. This isn't real. And the more that uh, parents and the, and the Yunkin folks dug into it, they were finding out that these things were happening in the Virginia schools. It was a big issue in that race. That's and true. So, and I'm not saying none of it's real. I'm saying that it's hard to <laughs> sift through. I think, I think you have to draw the line. I mean, I think, yeah. look, there, there is... There are, there's going to be a spectrum of approaches to t- 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 dealing with these issues, and some are going to be too far to one side, and some are going to be too far to the other. I would draw the line, for example, uh, where, where Scott is, where, where you don't want to teach people that they have some kind of intergenerational guilt yeah. for what people, their ancestors did in the past. It doesn't even make that's, any sense. That's yes, not hold on, happening. Guys, we, we can talk about this truly all night, and I appreciate all of your perspectives. <laughs> it's happening somewhere. You know what? Okay, Here's you good know news. it's happening somewhere. I have some good not news for you. We're doing this again tomorrow night because everyone stick around. <laughs> Part two of Pulse of the People, our conversation tomorrow night is happening also, and that's when we look at parents' thoughts on school safety and guns. So please stick around for all of that. Coming up, the NFL quarterback accused of sexual misconduct by more than two dozen women. Deshaun Watson just learned his fate. Does the punishment fit the crime? How does the NFL even come up with these punishments? That's next. The NFL said it wanted a tougher penalty for star quarterback Deshaun Watson. So is the one they handed down tough enough? Under a settlement with the Players Union, Watson will sit out an 11-game suspension and pay a record $5 million fine. He will also have to undergo behavioral treatment. At least 30 women have accused Watson of sexual assault or misconduct during massage appointments. This is while he played for the Houston Texans. He's never been charged with a crime. And he has settled lawsuits with 23 of his accusers. 
Watson now plays with the Cleveland Browns, who put out this statement earlier today on his behalf. Quote, I apologize once again for any pain this situation has caused. I take accountability for the decisions I made. But here's what Watson said just a short time later. Uh, I've always uh, stood on my innocence and always said that I've never assaulted anyone or disrespected anyone, and I've continued to stand on that. What do you apologize for? everyone that was affected about the situation, there was a lot of people that was triggered. All right, that was hard to hear, but basically he was saying, I've always stood up for my innocence. Basically, he said he's not guilty. Of- so He said a lot of people were triggered. <laughs> Back with us to discuss Maria Cardona, George Conway, and Scott Jones. So he really doesn't mean that he apologizes for anything that he might have said. I I mean, the whole thing is just, I think, indicative. I think the NFL has a problem. I mean, this is not the first time that they have had to deal with something where it shows how they devalue women. And this is clearly underscores that issue right there. I mean, $5 million, that's chump change for him, right? That's nothing. And he's going to continue to get to do what he wants to do. And sure, they'll say, oh, but he's, you know, innocent until proven guilty, all of that. You know, they, he deserves a second chance. Sure, he might deserve a second chance so he doesn't go to jail. Doesn't mean he gets the privilege of being a sports hero and making a gazillion dollars. Well, he's had more than a second chance. I mean, there are, you know, it, two dozen exactly. women who have said this. Thank George, your thoughts? Uh, I mean, if, if one-tenth of what was said, what has been <laughs> alleged about him is true, he deserved a lot more than what he got. And I, and I do agree. I mean, the NFL obviously has a problem because the, the, the arbitrator, the former judge, Robinson, who, who issued the first decision, which was much more lenient than even this, um, basically said she was constrained by looking at past precedents um, at the NFL. And, you know, that means that they just, they're, you know, they're not doing a very good job of, of policing their players. But I think they're all over the map in terms of the NFL penalties. We have a, a graphic of some of them. I mean, so he gets... An 11-game suspension, $5 million fine. Then DeAndre Hopkins uh, for performance-enhancing drugs, a six-game suspension. Tom Brady for Deflategate, four games and a $1 million fine. Uh, Martavis uh, Bryant, marijuana use, a one-year suspension indefinitely uh, since 2018. It just, uh, what do you think, Scott? I mean, it's all over the map. Well, all over the map. I think, you know, how can you judge if something is fair if there's no standard for punishment for, for the different things? I mean, my view is we're either going to treat women with respect or we're not. He didn't, according to the women. Never been charged with a crime, but obviously there were a lot of instances. I agree with you. I think the NFL does have a problem. Um, and, you know, as a public relations per- person with that in my background today, I was, was like, look at this statement. This written statement is amazing. And then they put him in front of a camera. <laughs> and then we learned what he really thinks. Yeah. And that's... And that's ultimately negated all what they were trying to do with, you know, we're setting up a fund to do this and we're going to donate to that. And then he shows up in front of a microphone. And so it, it added to the credibility problem that they have, in my opinion. I mean, Roger Goodell called Watson's behavior, quote, egregious and predatory. But I don't know how you put a price tag on that or what that means for sitting out games. I just don't know how one translates that, to that, the other. That, that and he's coming nothing. back, by the way, that when he comes right. back. He yeah. gets to play right in the playoffs. He yes. gets to play against, against his, his old right. team. It's exactly. going to be a huge yeah. like marquee. It's going to be a big I mean, PR thing. Just remember, business always wins, man. Right. Well, <laughs> it's interesting that you say business yeah. because Allison, if he had done this in any other company, he would have been fired. That's exactly. He true. should be fired if Goodell really believes what he said about it being egregious and predatory. He should be fired because no CEO would want an employee that is egregious and predatory. He should be fired. Why aren't they firing him? I mean, I guess it's the economics of it. I mean, it's the football is a big business. It, it is interesting. Watson saying, I'm innocent, and his boss saying, you're a predator. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, he's basically challenging Goodell. I, it, it, it's an interesting dynamic. And it's interesting and too because the, the NFL, power dynamic between the management and the players is really interesting. And the players, the player, the NFL Players Association agreed to this settlement, which was an increase over what the arbitrator had agreed to. Which means even they realized it was bad. Bad. <laughs> yes. All right, folks. Thank you very much. Thank Great you. to have these conversations with all of you. Thanks so much for watching tonight and join me tomorrow in the CNN newsroom with Victor Blackwell from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. And I'll be back here with you tomorrow night. And with that, Don Lemon tonight starts right now. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.